Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Amen. Good morning. I'm so excited for the opportunity to teach, especially on a topic that I have a lot of knowledge and background with, the cycle of disobedience. (laughs) This is a cycle that we get to see repeatedly here in the records of the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites at Mount Sinai, and their time wandering in the wilderness. But first, I want to talk about why does it even matter to us what the Israelites did or didn't do during these Old Testament records. So I want to look briefly at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul discusses the exodus. Starting here in verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. The events of Jewish history could seem irrelevant to the Corinthians thousands of years later living in a Roman culture. Maybe potentially even less relevant to us 2,000 years additionally later, right? But idolatry, sexual morality, putting God to the test, grumbling, those are issues that not only do the Corinthians still face, but we as Christians face today too. And there's a chance that just like us, those non-Jewish Corinthian believers were aware of the data of the Old Testament. But Paul, through this record, makes it clear that he wants them to understand the significance of these records in their lives. By calling Israel our fathers, he's letting the Corinthians and us know that God's new people in Christ are actually a continuation of the fulfillment of God's promise that he made to Abraham. And this identification is precisely what gives such emphasis to the warnings that follow. In verse two, he continues, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. In this section, Paul is showing that the Israelites in the Exodus and in the wilderness are analogous to the Christians of Corinth and today. The crossing of the Reed Sea, the water from the rock, the manna from heaven, those are all pre-echoes of the baptism, of communion, of the Lord's Supper. As they, the Israelites, became part of God's covenant family, so too have we by accepting Christ as our Lord. But Paul warns us here not to follow the example of the Israelites too closely, warning us not to get overthrown in our own wilderness. (laughs) Continuing in verse 7, he says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Here, Paul is quoting directly from Exodus 32 during the golden calf incident at Mount Sinai. In verse 8, he says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. This is a direct reference to Numbers chapter 25, when the people of Israel were staying at Shittim, and the Moabite women seduced the men and encouraged them to worship Baal of Peor. Continuing in verse 9, he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. In Numbers chapter 21, the people spoke against Moses and they spoke against God. And they complained about a lack of food and water. And the Bible says that fiery serpents were sent and they bit many of the people and a lot of them died. 
Moses had to pray for them. Bill, yeah, it's pretty, this is like, this is a list of not good things, right guys? <laughs> Moses prayed for them, made a bronze serpent, things happened, they survived. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This also is a direct reference to Numbers chapter 4. The people grumbled against Moses and Aaron after the spies returned from the promised land, and they even tried to choose new leadership. This resulted in a record that everyone knows about. The, everyone over the age of 20 who grumbled against the Lord was sentenced to die over the next 40 years, with only Joshua and Caleb being spared. Now, verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Sounds so epic. Now, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a verse that I've heard a lot, and I never realized it preceded basically a play-by-play -play of the Exodus. It's clear from this record, though, in Corinthians that Paul finds great value in understanding the Exodus and the surrounding events and how they apply as to our Christian walk. Through these examples in Exodus, we can see why at times it is such a struggle for us to let go of our sinful old man nature and live in the inheritance that we have in Christ. So let's dig into the records in Exodus. How many times have you found yourself on the downward cycle of this disobedience cycle, right? Living in a season of testing maybe, or one of time and chance that is pushing your faith to the absolute limits. Or potentially, just like the Israelites, living contrary to the will of God. Experiencing those negative results of the worldly lifestyle. The Israelites were definitely there quite frequently. In Exodus chapter five, we see the first example of Israel's complaining and rebellion. In chapter 4, Moses and Aaron had just shown back up in Egypt. They gathered the people together, and they let them know that Yahweh had heard their cries and was going to liberate them. This resulted in the Israelites bowing down, worshiping God. They were ready to go. But when Moses went to talk to Pharaoh, he increased their brick count and gave them less straw. Zero straw, in fact, which is worse. So now here in chapter 5, the Israelites, instead of maintaining their reverent attitude, are complaining at the results of Moses' initial discussion with Pharaoh. In verse 21, it says, And they, the Israelites, said to them, Moses and Aaron, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. How often do we see this trick still at work today in life? When the enemy creates pressure at home, at work, even school, discouraging us or attempting to discourage us from our Christian walk. This kind of pressure is especially difficult for new Christians to face alone. After this incident, we don't hear from the Israelites again during the plagues or the escape. They're seeing God at work in epic, miraculous, just amazing ways. And there's no more mention about complaining or their situation. So we pick back up in Exodus chapter 14, when the children of Israel have made it out and they're camped at the Reed Sea. In verse 11, it says, They, the Israelites, said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. 
<laughs> I read a commentary on this section by Matthew Henry, and he pointed out an interesting parallel here between the Egyptians and the Israelites. He says, as the Egyptians were angry with themselves for the best deed that they ever did, so the Israelites were angry with God for the greatest kindness that was ever done them. So gross are the absurdities of unbelief. They had as soon forgotten the miracles of the mercy as the Egyptians had forgotten the miracles of wrath. In verse 14, in chapter, in chapter 14, verse 5, the Egyptians said, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? The Egyptians regretted letting Israel go. Can you believe this? They're looking at each other and they're like, what, why, why did we do this? And I don't know about you guys, but I think they had like at least 10 really good reasons <laughs> to let the Israelites go. And they're like, wait, what? And now the Israelites, they're sitting on the edge of the Reed Sea, staring at this Egyptian army, no hope. And they're asking if God brought them into the wilderness just because there's not enough graves in Egypt. And believe it or not, this question was more ironic when they said it back then than it sounds to us today. The Egyptians were obsessed with death. They had pyramids, monumental tombs, tombs, mummies everywhere, whole cities devoted to the cult of death. They specialized in graves. 75% of Egypt's land was devoted to grave sites. So yeah, there were graves in Egypt. There were. <laughs> and it's an easy temptation to want to judge the Israelites for their lack of faith in this situation. But instead, I want us to remember that these people, they existed in slavery for longer than our country has existed. This is so outside of our ability to comprehend that I think it's easier to explain it in the reverse. Imagine, after hundreds of years of freedom, would we readily fall into a slave mentality? After one week of oppression? How long would it take? A month? A year? A decade? A lifetime, perhaps. We are a people with a culture ingrained with these kinds of ideas. Give me liberty or give me death, right? It's the same for the Israelites, but it's in the reverse. Plus, we have the luxury of knowing how this record ends. No one in their right mind is going to march up to the sea and expect it to part. But that's not to say they couldn't have had faith in God's ability to make a way. So these verses, unfortunately, begin Israel's continual cycle of disobedience as they make their way to the promised land. As it says in the book, The Echoes of Exodus, freedom from serving Pharaoh is the easy bit. From beginning to end, it takes only 14 chapters. Freedom to serve God, on the other hand, takes 40 years of wandering and the next four books of the Bible. In an age that we live in today where freedom is understood as merely being free from, from oppression, from constraint, or whatever, this aspect of liberation, as wonderful as it is, is only half the deal. In the scriptures, more emphasis is placed on the freedom for for worship, for flourishing, for growth in obedience and joy and glory. Human beings are not designed to be free from all constraint, slaves to nothing but our own passions, triumphantly enthroned as our own masters, even our own gods. Everybody serves somebody. So the point of the Exodus is not just for Israel to find deliverance from serving the old master, it is for them to find delight in serving the new one. 
Moving on in Exodus chapter 15, the people grumble about a lack of food. Water, sorry, water. Then in Exodus 16, that's when they grumble about a lack of food. 17, water again, and they even test Yahweh. After these five records, we meet the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 32. Moses and Joshua are in the mountain, and the people are getting restless. Starting in verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. This is a group of people who are experiencing the literal most miraculous physical signs of God working in their lives. No other human group in existence will ever, has ever seen this. And instead of giving God the glory, they say that Moses was the man who brought them out of Egypt. They're literally being fed manna in the morning, right? Imagine this. Waking up, going out, collecting your manna, and then meeting up with Aaron to demand that he makes you new gods. <laughs> like, that literally had to have happened, unless they went hungry that day. So Aaron said to them in verse 2, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord God, his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power by your mighty hand? And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. It's kind of funny, that back and forth, right? Instead of waiting 40 days for Moses on the mountain, they forsake Yahweh. They create an idol. They're erasing God's accomplishments, right? Revi revising their own history by giving this golden calf the praise for taking them out of Egypt. Like, they literally just made it. It wasn't there. Now they're offering burnt offerings to it, eating, drinking, playing. And I was watching the Bible Project Exodus series while prepping for this, and Carmen Imes mentioned something that I found really interesting about the placement of this record in the narrative of Exodus, right? So the children of Israel have already received the Ten Commandments, so like they know for sure that what they're doing is wrong. But they also received the plans for the tabernacle prior to this. And why is this interesting? Well, she puts it this way. The tabernacle is the system where we deal with human sin and human rebellion. As though before the people even break the covenant, God anticipates the need to be cleansed from breaking the covenant. God is saying, you're going to need a way to manage life in my presence. If my holy presence is going to be among you and you're an unholy people, then you're going to need a way to keep refreshing your holiness, like a continual reset button, so that I, God, can live among you and it won't be dangerous to you. God is so merciful. Not only did he rescue his people from bondage before giving them the covenant, but now he anticipated their need for the tabernacle before they even broke the covenant. It's easy to read this record and think, these guys just agreed to the Ten Commandments. And now they're breaking the first one. Not like the tenth one, like they forgot. They're breaking the first one. <laughs> Can they get one thing right? But... <laughs> 
we all have our golden calf moments. And you know what's amazing? Is that just like the Israelites had Moses to intercede, we have our Lord Jesus interceding for us. These days, it, because of the culture we live in, it's probably difficult to imagine, you know, resisting the worship of Baal or Zeus. Oh, so ah, I'm so tempted, right? No, but anything in the world can become a source of sinful desire. There are things that we can elevate. And as human beings in a physical world, it can be really difficult to look beyond the physical and see our worth or find a sense of purpose. There are 14 records of the children of Israel living this cycle of disobedience from Exodus chapter 5 through Numbers 21, from the time Moses returns to Egypt to bring them out until they finally leave the wilderness. Time and time again, they find themselves on the downward portion of this cycle of disobedience. And we live in a culture obsessed with personal freedom, but still find ourselves falling into new forms of bondage, right? Trying to be free from boredom, people become slaves to distraction. Social media, their phones, celebrity gossip, the news, take your pick, right? Trying to become free from social constraints, people become slaves to addiction and enslaved to lust. Like the Israelites, it's easy to forget that freedom from slavery is not the end goal. It's freedom for God, worshiping God, that is the goal. So what can we do? How do we break the cycle of disobedience? I think a powerful example can be found in the book of Daniel chapter 3, one of my most favorite records in the Bible. And Babylon came and conquered Judah. And three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were part of the Jewish royalty who got carried away. And they were forced to leave Israel and come to the king's palace. And then a little while later, this king sets up an idol and requires all the people to bow down to it. And in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. How did they stand up to this? Well, first, they obeyed God's commandment to worship only Yahweh. We can study God's word so that we too can always be ready to know and obey the commandments in any situation that we find ourselves in. Also, they had already seen God work in their lives prior to this. The first two chapters of Daniel are just like super awesome. And they clearly remembered what he did. And it is important for us to remind ourselves what God has done in our lives. A very simple way to do this is keeping a prayer journal of answered prayers to go back and look at. They also would have been taught about God's deliverance of his people in the records of the Exodus and taking over the promised land. But I think most importantly, they loved and trusted God more than they feared Nebuchadnezzar. Look at how fearlessly these guys respond to the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, they're saying, we don't need to defend our decision not to bow. If this be so, if the king decides to toss them in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They know what God is capable of. They've seen him work in their lives. They love, they trust, and they refuse to worship any other God but Yahweh. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These guys, while unable to live in freedom from physical bondage, managed to maintain their freedom for serving Yahweh. They understood that even though the physical circumstances they were in looked like their choice meant certain death, the spiritual circumstances were what mattered. They remembered Deuteronomy 30, and they chose life. Deuteronomy 30, verse 17 says, But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Israel was carried away into Babylon because they did not follow God's law. They did not maintain their faith in God. They did not continue to worship Yahweh faithfully. But Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego did. They saw God work in their lives in powerful ways. They trusted in him, and they knew that he could rescue them from this fiery furnace. Their freedom for was not hindered. And in this next sentence in verse 18, when they said, But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods. But if not. They trusted God, but they refused to try to force God to save them. They believed in him wholeheartedly. And spoiler alert, I know you guys have all read it, but if you haven't, they get saved from the fiery furnace, and it is awesome. But I want to close today in Mark with something that Jesus said in verse 28 of chapter 12. And one of the scribes came up and asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. When we live lives, not just in freedom from, but in freedom for loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are able to break the cycle of disobedience. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and your faithfulness and your ability to save. Thank you for everything that you have done and continue to do and will always do in our lives. Thank you for Jesus and his life and his accomplishments, and thank you for the hope we have in his return. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.